Well, good morning, everybody. It's so great you've joined us online this morning. Obviously, first prize would have been amazing to have you in the house, but we are so grateful that we can still gather and proclaim the name of our Lord, worship Him, hear from His Word, and just be together. So it's amazing that we can at least join. Let us know that you're here. Leave a comment or two. And um, we, as the Harveys, have been in lockdown, which feels like forever. It's probably been about a month or so. And uh, because two people in our household have had COVID, but we are so grateful that both have come through fine. And uh, we know that many of you are going through very difficult times. Many have loved, loved, lost loved ones. Loved ones are sick in hospital. And we just want you to know today that you are in our thoughts and prayers. And we are thinking about you. So our isolation stopped on Thursday and uh, we have had serious cabin fever. So the three of us, Vaughan, Kezia, and myself, are here at City Green this morning, and we were very excited to be able to get into the car and have an outing at City Green. So it's lovely to be here, and it's lovely to be with you this morning and share the Word of God with you. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to kick us off. Lord, we thank you so much that you are with us. You said that when we gather in your name, that you are with us. So it doesn't matter where we are gathering in different homes in Johannesburg and maybe in other places of the world. We gather in your name. And so, Lord, you are with us. And I pray that you would speak to us, that you would move on our hearts this morning by your Holy Spirit, that you will touch us and you will transform us by your word as we open our hearts to you today. Have your way in us today. And, Lord, we just want to say that we love you so much. We want to honor you we want to open our hearts to you. We want you to be at the center of our lives. We commit this time to you now in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're in the book of Zephaniah, and we're only doing this over one week, I mean, that is today. And um, if there's one thing that I'd like us to get a hold of today, it is this truth, that God loves us, whether he is disciplining us or whether he is dancing over us. I want us to get a hold of that, because Zephaniah has two main themes, and the one is the severity of God, and the other is the love of God, and that's what we're gonna have a look at today, those two um, aspects of God's character, his severity and his love. But I want us to see today that in Zephaniah 1 verse 4 to 7, we see his severity and that comes through in his punishment and his judgment of his people that had turned away from him and that were worshiping Molech, the, the God of the Canaanites. But then we see in Zephaniah 3 verse 17, this incredible love song that God sings over his, his people as he restores them after this time of judgment. So sometimes these two aspects of God's character can seem like they are in conflict with one another, but they're not. They are both parts of God's nature and His character. And for our theology to be complete and adequate, we need to get a grasp and we need to understand these two aspects of who God is. We need to see that these two aspects are a very integral part of who God is. So we're gonna have a look at the background of Zephaniah today and hopefully glean some, some truths from this book. And so who was Zephaniah? They are just, is, his name is mentioned in the book and his genealogy. He was of royal blood 
and he was the grandson of King Hezekiah, the last of the good kings amongst Judah. His name actually means hidden of Jehovah, and we don't know if this was that God actually hid himself from his people, or it could have been, meant this, that there's a theory that his mother actually hid him, because in that time, royal um, um, offspring were being sacrificed to the God of Molech. And so it could have been that his mother hid him to be able to protect him from being slaughtered so that he could, in fact, be used by God to be a prophet to his people. Uh, Zephaniah has three chapters, and they were written to, and the, these prophecies went out to Judah, the southern kingdom, and they went out before the exile, before they were taken into exile by the Babylonians. Chapter 1 speaks about God's judgment against Judah. Chapter 2 speaks about God's judgment against the nations. And chapter 3 is God's will and his restoration for the remnant of Israel. And we see that Zephaniah starts out with sorrow and with judgment. And it ends with a beautiful love song, a sweet love song that God sings over his people. So we're going to look at these two aspects of God's character, I said, as I said, because it's so important that our theology is complete. Because the way we see God and the way we understand Him and know Him will determine how we relate to Him. It will impact how we relate to Him on a daily basis. So if we ignore God's kindness, we see Him as a ruthless tyrant and if we ignore his sternness, we will see him only as a doting father. So let's have a look at it. Let's have a look at the severity of God, which is portrayed, as I said, through his judgments. I'm going to read from Zephaniah 1, verse 4 to 7. And it says this, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place, the very names of the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry hosts, those who bow down and swear by the Lord and who also swear by Molech, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. Be silent before the sovereign Lord for the day of the Lord is near. So let's have a look at the case against Judah. Does God have a case against Judah? And just looking at this passage, he certainly does. There are other sections through Zephaniah where God's judgment is declared. But let's have a look at this and see what God accuses them of. Verse four, he accuses them of practicing paganism and idol worship. Verse five, worshiping him and other deities. And Duncan spoke about that last week, about the syncretism, where they were worshiping God, but they felt like they needed to add something to their worship of God. And so they worshiped other gods as well. Verse six said that they rejected God. They neither sought him nor inquired of him. What a terrible offense against God's people. And then in verse 9, which I didn't read, but it speaks about the violence and deceit that was happening amongst the people of God. So God really had a strong case against his people. 
And the reason that they'd fallen into this place of idolatry and where they had stopped seeking God and inquiring of God is because the law, God's law, the law of Moses was not read regularly in the gathering of his people. And this is so important because the word of God is it's so important that we read it every day that we are reminded of who God is and how God wants us to live. So they had forgotten what it is that God had required of them, and they had forgotten who their God was. The grounds for judgment. So did God have any grounds for judgment? Yes, he certainly did. God created every human being for relationship with himself. He created us to worship him and to worship him alone. And we see this in Exodus. James and Duncan spoke about it as well, how God had formed a covenant with his people. He had told them what the foundations and the conditions of this covenant were to be through the law of Moses, the law, the 10 commandments that he had given at Mount Sinai. And it's amazing because God says to Moses, go to my people and say to them, will you stick to the conditions of this law? And this is what they say in Exodus 19, we will do everything the Lord has said. So in essence, they're saying I do to this relationship, but it didn't take them a long time for them to forget that I do. And then we read about in in Exodus 32, when Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai and he was taking a, a little bit long to come down, they thought he'd forgotten about them and God had forgotten about them. So they said to Aaron, can you take this gold and make a golden calf that we can worship? So Aaron takes it and he forms a golden calf. And this is what he says to them. He makes the calf and he, he says, build an altar in front of the calf and announce Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. There's that syncretism again, where they build an uh, idol to worship, and then they say they want to actually come and have a festival to the Lord. And the, the, what was so offensive as well, in that passage, it says, Aaron says to them, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I mean, when I read that, I thought to myself, what an offense to God. God did these amazing miracles, signs and wonders, and he delivered his people from the hand, the oppressive hand of the Egyptians. And then they have the audacity to say it is the golden calf who delivered them from this oppression. When God had led them, he had gone before them, he had provided for every one of their needs, they give worship and the honor to this calf and this golden calf instead of to God. What an offense to him. And so we see that God had said, told his people that they needed to worship him and worship him alone. So he had grounds for judgment. He could judge them because they did not keep their part of the covenant. And so when I read these passages in Exodus a few weeks ago, I was so shocked. My mouth literally hung open. I thought, how could these people do this? And then I had to remind myself that I think I've done the same. I think I've done the same many times in my life. And I had to ask myself, have there been golden calves that I have formed? Other things that I have worshipped that I have trusted in, that I have put before God, things that I have found fulfillment in, 
besides God? And have I not offended God in that way, in so many other ways? And so we need to just look at our own hearts today and maybe pray the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, have we built any golden calves or built any other altars to other gods? David Pawson says that sin is always the result of idolatry. Perhaps if we look at some of the fruits of our own lives and see what's happening in our own hearts, we'll see that perhaps we have also built some, some idols and we have looked to other things to fulfill us. What about gluttony? Overeating. Maybe we found pleasure, um, sorry, fulfillment in pleasure or comfort more so than in God. Maybe you've stolen money in your workplace, or maybe you're a workaholic. And so we would ask ourselves is it that we have looked to wealth to fulfill us? And we have placed wealth ahead of God and not realizing that God is the one who provides for every one of our needs. We can put our trust in him and know that he will fulfill us in every way. What if we have put beauty or our appearance um, and, and worship that and put that as the most important aspect of our lives and we have sought to find a sense, our sense of worth and acceptance from those things instead of acknowledging that God loves us and accepts us and he is the one that wants to fulfill us. Maybe there are even some of you here that are listening today and you are a saver and you love to save money, which is a good thing in and of itself. And all of these things are, food is good, work is good, beauty is good. But when we start to put those things ahead of God and they become an idol, we seek fulfillment from those things, that's when they become a problem. So maybe for you, you love saving, it's a good thing to save, but maybe for you, you become stingy and you, are, you, you don't give easily because for you, your idol is security. And as long as you've got money in the bank, you feel secure and you feel safe, instead of finding your sense of security in God, you found it in money and in saving money. And so as I thought about this, I remembered and something that, well, I could never forget it. It was a moment we were, went on a counseling course. It was when we were still at Brindale and uh, our officers were there. We did an evening course and we did some sessions and then we would break up into smaller groups and discuss what we were talking about. And they gave us a sheet of a, a diagram of some of these things that I'm telling you about now. Some surface idols, which may be like being a workaholic, and then some underlying idols, which might be that we're worshiping money. And they gave us the diagram, and they said in the groups, discuss it and see if you can pinpoint your idols and the things that you're putting your trust in. And I looked at that sheet of paper, and it's like everything just faded away. I felt like I was alone in that room with God. And in that moment, God showed me my heart. And... I saw what my idol was and what I'd been putting my trust in. And it was success. And if you look at my life, you'll probably think I haven't been like hugely successful. 
And I believe that God was frustrating my plans for success because I had this idea of what success was. And when he showed me this, I realized why he was doing it. And I realized in that moment, God showed me my heart and he showed me my motives. And I felt so ashamed that I had been putting success and the desire for success above God. And I I sat there, as I say, and everything else just faded away. And I said, Lord, I am so sorry. I can't believe I've been doing this. And I looked up and I saw a picture of God. And I... I saw him sitting on his throne and he was looking down at me and smiling. And I looked up and I said, God, you've been watching me do this all my life. And you're smiling at me. How is that? I could literally feel the love of God. I thought, how is it that you see my sin, you see the way I've behaved, and yet you still love me? And in that moment, I was able to repent, ask God to forgive me. And you see, this is what I'm speaking about. It's the severity and the love of God. God loves us so much. But in that moment, he was saying, Lorelei, this far and no further. Today, we are smashing this idol. I want to be number one in your life. I want to be first. I want to be your all in all. Nothing must come before me, but I love you. But we're going to deal with this idol today. And so God began to set me free and make me whole. And how incredible that God would do that, that he would take the time to to work in my heart and set me free from something that holds me back. So I think each of us just need to search our hearts today and know that our God is a jealous God. He doesn't want some of you. He doesn't want half of you. He wants all of you. And you know, when Vaughn and I do pre-marriage counseling, we tell couples, I often tell them that there is a healthy jealousy in marriage And I am very protective over my husband. If there is a lady that comes near him that looks like her intentions are not good, I'm stepping in. I'm stepping in. He's mine and no one else is getting him. And so I feel very strongly about him. And I know there were times when he would have to say to me when I was giving more affection probably to the kids than I was to him, that he had to say, I'm jealous for your love. And so if we feel a bit like that, then God is also looking at us and saying, nothing else is going to get you. You are mine, and I am jealous over you. And so sometimes in our modern age, judgment and God's anger and his wrath can seem very offensive to us. But really, it's so important that we understand that God loves us. And it is, it's, it's so important that we know that he is jealous over us. And because he loves us, he is going to pull us up or he's going to convict us, confront us with our sinful behavior or anything that would separate us from him. And so I've been very aware as I've been reading through the Old Testament again of these two aspects of the severity and the love of God. Sometimes we look at the Old Testament and we think that we only see the severity of God there. And in the New Testament, we see the grace of God. But we need to understand this, that yes, we are experiencing the grace of God in an amazing way today. 
But that doesn't mean that God has dropped his standards, that he is not concerned about holiness anymore or our, us living a holy life. It is so important that we live a holy life and that we are holy the way God is holy. So what are the grounds for judgment today? What does this mean for us today? I don't have a clock there, do I? I'm just looking now, I don't know how much time I've got left. Will someone just stick one up for me? So we see in Zephaniah, the day of the Lord comes up seven times, more than any other of the minor prophets. And we know that there will be, God has judged his people over the years, but there will be a final judgment where God will set everything right, where God will have the last say. And every one of us are going to have to give account of how we have lived. So what about those of us that are Christ followers? We will not be judged because Jesus has taken that judgment on himself and we have been set free of the wrath of God. But what about those of you that are not yet Christ followers? I'm trusting that today as you realize that the God's in his nature, that he has this severe or the severity and love, that you see those two aspects, his severity and his love, and that you realize that both of them are a reality. There will be a day, either when you die or when Jesus comes back, that you will have to face his judgment. But the amazing news is, is that he loved you and he sent Jesus, that Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in him today, will take your judgment on himself. So I'm asking you today, if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, that you would realize that he loves you and he wants to save you and he wants to give you a new hope and a new way of living. Don't put it off because we don't know what tomorrow will hold. Today is the day of salvation. And if you call out to the name of the Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. All you need to do is call out. If you need some help on how to take these steps of faith or how to grow in your relationship with God, won't you get hold of us at hello at citygodfirst.co.za and someone will get back to you. But if you will just contact us, we will help you to take those steps so that you can meet Jesus today. And so those, we as Christ followers, we don't, experience the judgment of God, but today we do experience his discipline. And he disciplines us so that he can sanctify us. And that just means that he cleanses us and he makes us holy. He makes us holy as he is holy. And it says in Ephesians 5:25, it says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her, that's sanctifying her by the washing and water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's the goal. God wants to make us as his children holy so that when Jesus returns or when we meet him, we will be his spotless bride. So how does he do this? Hebrews 12 verse seven says it so well. And the writer there explains to us how God works in our lives. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined, sorry, by his father? 
If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our Father, fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. There it is again. That's His purpose, to make us holy. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So it's so important that we see it's because we are sons and daughters that God disciplines us. It's out of that incredible love relationship that we have with Him, that He works in our hearts. He transforms us. He changes us into the image of Jesus. But I want to say today, I know that there's some of you there that are listening that haven't had a good experience of a father. You either didn't have a father as you were growing up or you had a father that was abusive. And I've heard two stories in the last couple of months of abusive fathers that have beaten their children. And it has broken my heart as I've listened to those stories. And I've seen how those people are still carrying the physical and the emotional scars from their father. So I know for you, it's gonna be so difficult. And in your mind, you can't understand that someone could discipline you in a healthy, constructive, and a loving way. But God wants you to know today that he wants to heal you. He wants to heal you, and he wants you to get the right picture of who he is. Because remember, how you see him, him is how you are going to relate to him. And then there's some of you that have just had fathers that didn't discipline you at all, and that's left other scars of a, permiss uh, a permissive lifestyle. And so you didn't experience that love and that healthy discipline either, but God wants you to know his heart today. He wants you to see how perfect he is, that he is a perfect father. So how should we respond to discipline? It says in Proverbs 3 verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord dis disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. He delights in you and that is why he disciplines you. So notice there it says, don't despise or resent his discipline because it's not that he's punishing you. He's actually wanting to disciple you and to shape your character and make you into the person that he wants you to be. So don't resist when he works in your life because he wants to change you, as I say. He wants to make you into his perfect bride. It says in Revelation 19, it says this, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory for the wedding of the Lamb, who is Jesus, has come and his bride, who is us, the church, has made herself ready. We have a part to play and we should not resist the workings of God in our lives because we wanna be able to present ourselves to him as pure and as perfect. And I wanna encourage you today that if you ask God if there is any spot or blemish in your life, he will show you. There was a time after I gave birth to Jonathan that I got quite ill and I had severe pain 
for six, seven, or eight hours every day that no painkillers could take care of. Doctors couldn't help me at that time. They did later on, but there were several months where I had extreme pain every day. And one day I was on my knees on the side of the bed because I didn't know what to do with myself. And I said to the Lord, okay, if I've got to go through this, you might as well use it for good in my life. What is it that you want to do in my life? And it wasn't, the words were hardly out of my mouth and God said to me, the anger's gotta go. I had some serious anger issues. And, but I, what I want to say to you, in those coming days, God dealt with that anger and he set me free. But in his love, he confronted the sin in me. And so if you ask him today, he will tell you. The other thing I wanna encourage you not to do is to see God's love on a scale or a gauge. So that when things are going well with you, you think the love gauge is going up. But when you're going through a difficult time, the love gauge or God's love gauge goes down. You need to remember today that God's banner over you is love. So he loves you whether he is disciplining you or whether he is dancing over you in love. His intentions towards you are always love and he wants to shape you and make you into the person that he wants you to be. So in Hebrews, it says here that we should respect God the way we did our earthly fathers and we should submit to him. So that should be our response, not to despise or resent or resist his work in our lives, but actually to respect God that he loves us and he knows exactly how to discipline us in a healthy way and we should submit to him. Because as I said, he's not trying to punish us. There's no condemnation for those in Christ, that are in Christ Jesus. But he wants us to be free because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We read about in Galatians 5. So for us to experience God setting us free and in restoring us, Repentance is such an important part of that restoration. For us to turn away from our sin, turn away from the things that we're putting before God and turn back to Him, love Him and worship Him and allow Him to work in our lives. So repentance is a very important part of that restoration. So the next thing we're gonna have a look at is the love of God which is portrayed here in these passages in Zephaniah 3, verse 14, 14, 15, up to 16. But it's this restoration after the judgment and after the people of God had repented, turned away from their idol worship and their sin and turned back to God, and God sings over them in love. And so we read in that passage, it says, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemies. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take away, sorry, he will take great delight in you and he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And I believe we can take this passage for ourselves because we've seen the ultimate restoration through Jesus Christ. And so let's look at this passage and see the 
the ways in which God shows us love. Firstly, it says he saves. So he saved Israel from their sin and from their enemies, and he restored them to a place of relationship with him and where they were worshiping him. How does he show us his love? In 1 John 3 verse 1, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That's the ultimate sign that he has made us his children. But I'll ask you today, what do you need to be saved from today? Maybe you're going through a very difficult time. Maybe it's your past. Maybe you're facing some temptation. God wants you to know that he can save you today. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in him. And he wants to save you today. But he is a God of salvation. And then it says he takes great delight. He is so pleased with you. He doesn't just take delight. He takes great delight in you. I sometimes just sit and look at my kids as a mom born, and I will sometimes just talk about our kids. And my heart gets so full when I think how, how wonderful they are and how much I love them. And I think God looks down on us and he takes great delight in us. And you need to take that in today and you need to get that picture of God that he wants to save you, he takes great delight in you, and then it says he quiets you with his love. Some translation says he renews you with his love because that word in the Greek means it, um, to make new, brand new, because when Jesus comes into our lives, he does. He makes all things new. And he wants to renew you and restore you by his love. And so the quieting with his love also just gives me this picture. You know when you're very close to someone like Vaughn and I, we can just sit in a room and be quiet together. We don't have to speak, but we know we love each other and it's a safe space. And that's the same with you and God today. God wants you to know that because of his love, for you. You can just be quiet with him. You can know that he loves you. He accepts you. You don't have to try and prove yourself to him. You don't have to try to justify yourself. You can just bask and rest in his unconditional love for you. Just like a child, a baby lies in the arms of its mother, you can rest in the incredible love that God has for you. Then it says that he rejoices over you and that Hebrew word there means that it means to spin around under the influence of any violent emotion. And we know that that emotion here is love. So when God looks at you, Jack, when God looks at you, he spins over you in joy. He gets super excited thinking about you and thinking that you're his child. The other day we were driving to school and on the back of somebody's car there was a sticker and it said, Hey, tiki dry worryo. And if you're Afrikaans, you'll understand it just means that. He spins around over you, but it says it, it's such a lovely way. He, hey, tiki dry. I can just see the picture of God spinning in joy over us. And so this shows, and I think it's good for us to understand sometimes that God has emotions, that God feels very deeply. And he gets excited about things. And he gets excited about you and his incredible love for you. And so we see this picture that is painted when Jesus wants to, to paint a picture of the love that our heavenly father has for us. And he tells the story of the prodigal son. 
And we know the son goes away. And the father, you know, in those days, men never ran. And uh, we see as the son approaches the father's house, the father lifts up his robes and he begins to run to his father in a very undignified kind of way. And he kisses his neck and he is so excited. God wants you to know today that he gets that excited about you and about you returning to him and the fact that you are in his house again. He loves you deeply and he takes great delight in you. And then he says that he sings over you. God has written a love song for you. And you know, in our house, everybody laughs very loudly at me because I don't sing that well. And um, I can sing if there's music, but if there's no music, I sing very badly. And so at home, I feel sometimes like I wanna worship God. And it just fills my heart. And I can hear Maverick City in my head and I can hear Hillsong. And when I open my mouth, I promise you that's not what comes out. And so I sometimes walk in the house and I sing at the top of my voice and my family just beg me to stop singing. And I said to them, you know what? God sees my heart, but God's got filters. God's got filters. And he, just, he doesn't hear what you're hearing. He hears something else. But I wonder what God's singing voice sounds like. Certainly not like mine. I'm sure if we had to hear God singing today, we'd get goosebumps. We would be overwhelmed at the beauty of his voice and the beauty of those words that he's singing over every one of us. And so those words were not recorded here. The other songs that have been recorded in the Bible, Miriam's songs and Deborah and David's songs, they were recorded. But this song was not recorded. But this I know, it's a song of love that he has written for you and he is singing it over you, his child that he loves deeply. He's singing a love song over you, Barry, and you, Sue and Niku, and I wanna say to you today, Kaz Skelton, God has written a special song of love for you. God wanted me to tell you that today. You think sometimes that God has forgotten about you and that you have been pushed aside. Kaz Skelton, God wants you to know today. He sees you and he loves you and he's written a special song that he sings over you. He wants you to receive his love today. Won't you open your heart to him and just receive, each one of you, receive his love to you that he has for you today. And so, how am I doing for time? Somebody just show me. I'm done, okay. <laughs> so the question that I wanna to ask today and that God's asking us, have we learned to receive his love? Because if we are captivated by his love, we will worship him and him alone. We will want to be obedient to him and to him alone. We will give our whole heart, our, all of who we are to him and there will be no idols, there will be no place for idols in our lives. So I wanna ask you, have you learned to receive the love of God? Have you been captivated by His love? We see that Zephaniah started out in judgment and sorrow, but it ends with a song of love over God's people. So I don't know how your year started, 
I don't know what your day started like. I don't know what your week started like. But I sure know how God wants it to end. He wants you to know His love. And He wants you to know today that whether He is disciplining you and shaping your heart and making you more holy and more like Him, or whether He is dancing over you and singing over you, you are His treasured possession. So we're gonna worship now, but I want you to think about this for a moment and ask yourself, in this time of worship, as we respond to God's love and as He sings over us, would we just sing over Him and lavish our love on Him? But is there an aspect of God's character that you need revelation on today? Maybe you only see Him as love and you haven't allowed Him to come in and shape you and discipline you and make you more holy. Or maybe you only see the severity of God. You only see Him as harsh and as a disciplinarian and you find it difficult to approach Him in an intimate, in a quiet, and in a loving way. And so God wants to bring a transformation in our thinking and in our hearts today. And so would you take some time during this worship song just to search your own heart, see if there's anything, any golden calf that you're placing before Him and ask Him to bring a change, ask Him to set you free. But don't let it just be through this worship song today or this morning. Take some time out today to be with God and allow Him to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. So Lord, we thank you so much that you have been with us. You will continue to be with us because you are our faithful God. Would you take your word, Lord, and by the power of your spirit, apply it to our hearts today so that we will know that you are holy, but that we will know too that you love us deeply and you are singing a love song over us today. We just wanna sing a song back to you and say we love you, Lord. We love you with all our hearts. Be glorified in Jesus' name.